Hello there. This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, your weekly visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm your teacher and leader, Dan Sinkhorn, pastor of Shiloh United Methodist Church, and I'm assisted in this wonderful opportunity by my daughter, Bethany. Each week we study the Bible together with you, and our goal is that we might all know God's heart and mind better with our own hearts and minds through the Word of God or the revealing of God's heart and mind. That's what Logos really means, and so that's what we're talking about. It's an opportunity to really have an intimate relationship with our Creator. So, this week we're studying again from the book of Revelation, and we genuinely hope that as you join us in this study, it doesn't serve as the only thing you do to experience God, and we hope you'll find yourself in fellowship and friendship with other Christians through a local church, and uh, to that end, we'd be glad to have you join us at uh, Shiloh United Methodist in Jasper if you happen to be in this vicinity around southwest Indiana, but wherever you are. Don't miss out on the important opportunity to grow with other Christians in a local church setting. Today's psalm reading is Psalm 14. It's taken from uh, a... Psalm of David for the director of music, and this is one that you probably are familiar with because it begins this way. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord, but there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. down 
And it is on that word, Lord, that we hang, that you are with us, that you are never far from us, no matter what's going on. You have such a grasp of our circumstances that it boggles our minds, and yet it feels sometimes, Lord, like evil is winning. It feels sometimes like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And Lord, we, we remind ourselves that you have a plan, that you're working your plan, and that in the meantime, we are your body on earth, and that it is our job to make the world a better place, that it is our job to resist evil. And so give us the courage and the strength, Lord, and enable us with your Holy Spirit to speak your word from your heart and mind, and to stand firm, and to be your presence among the poor and the oppressed and the weak and the subjugated and help us to understand Lord what that really means because there are those who are poor and oppressed and subjugated who are quite wealthy who are suffering from the subjugation of their wealth or from their drug habit or their alcohol or their other addiction who are suffering in some way from from uh, depression and discouragement and emotional and spiritual illness you know and on it goes lord so help us to be your body your flesh and blood among those who are oppressed and suffering from the evil ones who say there is no god Sets free the captives, his people will rejoice and his people will be glad. His people will rejoice and his people will be glad. Well, once again, we've got Bethany in the house. She's in the GHM studio with me. In fact, we were outside the house just a little while ago and uh, the ladies were working hard weeding the garden which seems like an appropriate metaphor for the part of revelation that we're heading into now <laughs> it's sort of god weeding the garden uh you know the the garden of eden metaphorically speaking was uh overrun with satan's weeds mm -hmm. and god is now in the process of reversing genesis uh as we go further down the road into revelation we can literally see the end of Revelation being the beginning of Genesis in reverse. And uh, so it, it's literally like the deconstruction uh, uh, or the withdrawal of God. So that by the time God is withdrawn for a season, uh, there's the same chaos that was there at the beginning. And until the word of God kind of took it in and straightened it all out. So weeding the Garden of Eden is what Revelation seems to describe. So, Bethany, we are 
still looking at chapter four mm-hmm. of Revelation, and we. I don't know. I think I'm going to read at least some of it again, just kind of reset things. You know, the one thing I have to be conscious of every time we do this, uh, this, this recording is that there's always somebody who's dialing it up for the first time, which mm-hmm. is why I give the same intro week after week and so forth. So chapter four, uh, starts out this way after this meeting, after he had dictated the letters from Jesus, to the churches, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, and rainbow, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were encirc- nah, 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass as clear as crystal. Let's stop there. That's uh, verse 6. So last week we left off with the 24 elders, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. And we decided that those were probably the 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that means that the next thing that we want to look at is verse 5. It says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Uh, so, you know, whose throne is it? Well, it's God's throne, right? Uh, that's, that's kind of the, you know, Jesus is sitting on God's throne according to scripture, but, Mm -hmm. but it's God's throne. And, and, uh, you know, when God talks, I mean, think about back to Exodus when Moses would go up in the mountain to talk to God. Um, you know, there was thunder and lightning and noise. It was very, very frightening. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know. Again, we understand that John is describing something that he's never seen before. Um, And so, you know, it could be that our human bodies and our human perception physically is just not wired for outside of our space and time. Um, You know, without going into too much of a side trip here, I'm thinking like, you know, when Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God and chatted with God, it must have been a lot less overwhelming because it was more natural to them. Um, there's this thing called entropy that says everything runs down and winds down. And so from the time of the fall through Genesis all the way, gosh, you know, well into the book of Samuel and places like that, we see this sort of decreased lifespan of the people. 
And there are all sorts of indications that as time went by, the original design became more, I don't want to say flawed, but, you know, less perfect. Mm -hmm. And so by the time John is experiencing the presence of God, his physical nature isn't as well equipped to experience God's presence as, say, Adam and Eve or Enoch or mm -hmm. Cain and Abel or Seth or, you know, Noah, for that matter. These guys were all closer, genetically speaking, to the original formula and therefore may have experienced God in a way that we can't even comprehend. And so here's John saying, well, now I was in the presence of God and what I saw and heard was, you know, not only terrifying, but it was also impossible to really express. Mm -hmm. so that seemed like a reasonable conclusion. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, and again, this is, this is the way I like to read the Bible, is assuming that everything in there is exactly as it's intended to be, that it's absolutely true. And so I take the approach that, uh, that just as Genesis describes, there is this, this gradual change uh, that's brought about by the firmament being destroyed, as it was described in the flood of Noah, and the you know like like right now um there's this never-ending debate about the depletion of the ozone layer and and uh, global warming and all this jazz and what's interesting is is even though i have some political disagreements about that topic that i would debate in a less important discussion than this there is a truth i think that can be supported in scripture and that is is that the the, the perfectly designed, almost like global scale terrarium that the earth was prior to the flood has been, you know, sort of leaking out ever since. You know, the decline has been going on since the beginning of, of the era after the flood. And in the same way, entropy has changed the nature of our lifespans. Mm -hmm. and, and you think about it and people will say, well, you know, folks are living longer now than they have in centuries. That's true, but that is the work of man. That's the work of humanity. The design of God made them live a lot longer than any human thing can cause us to live. And so without going off on that tangent any further, that's all I'm driving at is, is that, well, that in the same way I can imagine early human beings being much more able to experience the presence of God than we could. When I was sitting here thinking about the, the tree of knowledge, the tree mm -hmm. of life, and I was, I was debating in my brain about like... says that when they ate it like when they ate from that tree that their eyes were open and they saw their nakedness and all that stuff and but i was just sitting here wondering if maybe eating from that tree also took away from some of their abilities well yeah you know yeah. like because the, then they get cast out of the garden and they lose all a lot of really wonderful things that they had and i guess i wonder if part of eating from that tree also ended up with them 
it like it took away innocence and stuff like that because they didn't like they before they didn't care whether they were clothed or not but like we talked about senses last week and how there's a lot more senses out there and i kind of wonder if maybe that was part of it too Mm -hmm. they lost some of those more godly abilities yeah yeah some of those superpowers well and and uh, for me the uh again the bible makes a lot of sense if you study it long enough which Mm -hmm. which i don't want to make it sound like it's a mystery that some i don't want to go there what i mean though is is that that the uh, uh the bible kind of uh uh if you if you read it enough and you become able in your experience of the Bible to start remembering things you read in one place mm-hmm. and applying them to the other place, so I'm I'm not suggesting that that uh, the Bible is exclusive in some way. I'm just saying that that uh, any volume the size of the Bible requires a lot of study before you get to the point where you can think, well, now I remember reading over here. Mm-hmm. Something that now makes this over here in this other place make more sense to me. So, in a way, I'm I'm kind of trying to get to that by saying that that in the same way that we see Revelation sort of tying up all the loose ends, mm-hmm. you can see how how the 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 idea of resurrection uh, that's illustrated best of all, of course, by Jesus and his resurrection. That the resurrection form of Jesus is probably not that different in a way from what Adam and Eve were like before the fall. Mm-hmm. And and I, I can just imagine a certain kind of person disagreeing with me about that because it sounds like I'm putting Adam and Eve on the same level with Jesus. But Jesus is the God-man. Right. You know, and so all I'm really saying is, is that when God created the first humans, they were, in effect the same as the resurrected Jesus, well, which is a sign of what we're supposed to have been like. Well, that's what I was going to say. Isn't Jesus what Adam was meant? To, like, not exactly, but like well, kind of what Adam was The Apostle was meant Paul to be. calls like, him the second Adam. Yeah, yeah, he was supposed to be. That was what they, you know. Yeah. So, and, uh, and, and I will plug and say that I agree. It's really important to read the whole Bible. And Daily Audio Bible, which is another yeah. podcast that's awesome, has different kinds like different versions of daily audio bible and there's now a daily audio bible chronological that his daughter reads oh okay. i highly recommend that because it's very cool it puts it all in chronological order yeah yeah so. now if you are a member of shiloh church uh the shiloh united methodist church email you're getting a link to that mm-hmm. in my friday email i highly recommend that because yeah. And not that reading the Bible is also important, but it's great to have that audible, that audible version and it's daily. So you want to hear something really cool? I got a, I got an email about a month or so ago from a person in our church Mm -hmm. who, because I put a link to daily audio Bible in my Friday email that I send out. Mm -hmm. And for anybody that's outside of our community, I send out an email to the members of the congregation every Friday saying, here's what we're going to talk about on Sunday, here's some uh, uh, things you can listen for in the sermon, and here's a copy of my sermon mm-hmm. notes. But then at the bottom, I have links to resources mm-hmm. uh, that I think are important. So I'm, I'm really trying to help my flock mm-hmm. uh, get fed and, and equipped to do more than just sit in a pew on Sunday morning. 
And one of the links is to the Daily Audio Bible. Well, one of the people in our church, a lady in our church, started listening to the Daily Audio Bible, and she heard him talk about their women's conference mm-hmm. that they do every year. She went to it. How cool. And had a really awesome yeah. experience it and wrote really me cool. to say so. So isn't that the That's more, awesome. I think it's yeah. called the more, more conference gathering. or more gathering. More yeah. Gathering. So isn't that, that cool? really cool. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and that's one of those things. I don't want to say I forget that it's in the email, but I put it in there intentionally, and I'm not expecting to hear from anybody about mm-hmm. it. I, I mean, awesome. so what a pleasant surprise yeah. to hear someone say that. Yeah. Um, it's just like when you run into people who could say things about this podcast. It's such a gratifying it's thing, you cool. know. It's very cool because we're sitting here by ourselves. And it doesn't yeah. Matter. So imagine how it was for me before I had you to yeah, help really. me. <laughs> Start feeling like an idiot sitting here, <laughs> you know, talking to nothing but this foam-covered microphone. So what I will say then, uh, based on all of that that we just said, is you're right. The Bible's not necessarily mysterious, but if you only read, if you only listen to the parts that the pastor reads on Sunday morning, then it probably does seem mysterious. And so I, I'm a big fan of. I think everybody should read the whole Bible at least once or twice, probably a couple of times, because then you start to connect things. Well, um, you know, one and of it, the, it feels less mysterious. One of the resources that you've seen me use in the past is the Bible in 90 Days. Yes. Uh, I want to introduce that at Shiloh. I just have waited for the right time, mm-hmm. and, and it just doesn't feel like it's the right time yet, but... Uh, you know, heads up, Shiloh folks, there's something <laughs> called the Bible in 90 Days. It's a special program. And it's really easy. And and it gives you the way and the wherewithal and the camaraderie mm-hmm. to read the entire Bible cover to cover in 90 days. Mm-hmm. It can be done. Yep. And it's pretty gratifying, you know. Uh, so I'm looking forward so. to bringing that to your attention soon. Um, I remember in one case I mentioned that I was going to do that someday and somebody got excited about it and jumped the gun and then came to me and said, oh, by the way, I finished the whole Bible in 90 days without doing a church-wide program. And I said, well, hey, good for you. Rock on. Yeah. So anyway, I've digressed significantly here. Well, but it's my fault. No, it's all right. But, but <laughs> I, and, our, and our principal uh, purpose is to say, read your Bible. Yeah. I mean, read the Bible. Get familiar with the whole story. Because a lot of the stuff that you read intermittently uh, in a daily devotion mm-hmm. or the, the references you hear in a Sunday sermon, you know, stuff like that, it, it's all very interesting. But, but a, a good example I heard in my sermon preparation, I, I'm already getting ready for a new series we're going to do at church uh, in, in a few weeks. And as I was working on the, the legwork for that, you know, the the reality that you have to read the book of Ruth to understand the significance of Bethlehem and the birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many people put all that together. They just assume that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and that that sort of, uh, you know, is written on a Christmas card or something, you know. So what's the connection with Ruth? And, and like, like I, don't, I don't want spoilers, but... Yeah. Uh, when you when you read the book of Ruth, what you find out is is that from from Ruth backwards, you have her eventually her husband Boaz, whose mom was Rahab the harlot mm-hmm. at Jericho, mm-hmm. and then you have a descendant named David, mm-hmm. who eventually is uh, succeeded on his throne by none other than Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. born on 
uh, in Bethlehem. And that same Jesus Christ is the one who is preparing to assume his throne in the passages we're reading right now. So there's a continuity mm-hmm. there that I just spoke in a few minutes mm-hmm. that has to do with Joshua, Ruth, David, the books of Samuel, Kings, mm-hmm. right on up to the Gospels. And now we're in Revelation and yeah. it's all happening. Mm-hmm. So... That's why we want you to read your Bible. Well, and like tying it back to Revelation. If you're listening to this study, go read Genesis 2. Like not Genesis chapter 2, like Genesis as well. Um, Because a lot of the things that we read in Revelation, especially stuff coming up, sounds really similar to the first book of the Bible. Yep. And... So I think that's, I just think it's cool. Yeah. And like before we were getting ready to start this afternoon, I said, isn't this, this sounds really similar to something in Ezekiel. Yes. And, and that's why you read your whole Bible, mm-hmm. I guess. Cause, because you start to connect things, like you said there, mm-hmm. and you start to see this really, really beautiful picture that's been laid out in this huge book. Books written by different people, by the way, guys. 6640. Super, super cool. 66 books, <laughs> approximately 40 authors. Yeah. And somehow there's one this amazing source. continuity. Right. Because of the one source. So you begin to realize I feel that like there I gush about a, the Bible at least every other podcast. Well, but that's okay. That's why we do this. <laughs> There is a divine design. Yes. That, 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 and, and believe me, you know, those who are far from a spiritually, I, I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say because I don't mean this in a condescending way, but if you're not real strong or, in, or, or if you're not particularly mature in the faith, this is hard to believe. But as you grow and experience the Holy Spirit and personal growth spiritually, it doesn't take very long before you go, oh my gosh, this book, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it's been printed by all different kinds mm-hmm. of people, it's been translated by all different kinds of people, no matter what happens to this book over the 2,000 years or less, really, that it's been around in, in one form or another, because it's not completely 2,000 years old, but the reality is, is this book has has a divine design to it, and somehow has managed to stay part of mm-hmm. God's relationship with humanity, no matter how bad humanity tries to mess it up. Mm-hmm. You know, that, 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 and that in itself is testimony to its divine design. It's, it's incredible. Well, okay, so back to the, back, ugh, I just bounced off my microphone here. Back to the passage. So we were talking about the, the, then the, the nature of, of John's experience of the one on the throne. Yeah. And, but then we get right into the seven lampstands. Mm-hmm. And, and I really want to come back to that because um, that's, a, that's a tricky territory. We did visit it back at the beginning. But there are, uh, I think, good reasons uh, to go ahead and, and kind of revisit the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the seven spirits of God, as they're described in this case, uh, are mentioned several places in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And there's no one sure answer to who they are and what this represents. But I I like a commentary that I just pulled up here that says, but there are at least three possible answers. In other words, it's saying that uh, there may be more answers, Mm -hmm. but there are three that seem pretty sure. Uh, one of them is that the seven spirits are symbolic of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. 
because the Bible, especially the book of Revelation, uses the number seven to refer to perfection. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that a sevenfold spirit is perfect, Mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit is perfect. And so it isn't that there are seven, you know, so we're not talking about a, a schizophrenic spirit, you know, that has seven personalities. We're talking about one complete being that is so complete that they're perfect and and the Holy Spirit is perfect. So that's one possibility that a sevenfold spirit is perfect. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the seven pattern is everywhere in the Bible, that you can't find all of the seven patterns. There are so many, this heptatic as it's called. Now, another possibility was that the seven spirits of God refer to seven angelic beings, Mm -hmm. possibly seraphim or cherubim, and that would fit the numerous other angelic references in Book of Revelation, especially. And then the third possibility is based on Isaiah eleven two, which you pulled up because you were thinking about that. I was. That says um, that there are seven spiritual natures, or mm-hmm. some you know, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of. Uh, understanding spirit of counsel and of power and the spirit and it sounds like you're already there so you take that for a second um yeah it isaiah 11 and yeah it's it's verse two but i kind of like verse one with it so it says a shoot will come up from the stump of jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit which we know is jesus um And then it says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Um, I I don't want to interrupt you, but I am, obviously. That's okay. um, The spirit of Jesse thing, or the root of Jesse thing, is that that connection to uh, David. Uh Uh-huh. And Ruth. Jesse's his dad, Ruth. There you go. I'm pretty excited about this Ruth series coming up, by the way, because I like that book. Quite well, a you know, I am too. Um, we're going to do Ruth, and then we're going to do Job, and I, like Job. I probably need to do Esther. I would like you to do uh, Esther, because you know I love her. Well, and I've actually heard a few other people say, if you're going to do Ruth, why don't you do Esther? Well, <laughs> I'm breaking them up simply because even though both stories uh, are actually prophetic, Esther and Ruth are both prophetic, and and Jewish uh, tradition puts them in the books of the prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the book of Esther, I just didn't want them to appear as though they were two parts of the same volume or something yeah. like that. Um, so I wanted to break them up in the church services, and Job is is going to kind of be the the peanut butter and jelly in the middle. So so we got a piece of bread called Ruth and a bunch of peanut butter and jelly called Job. And then we got a little piece of bread. That's a really lousy metaphor. But anyway, so so those are the seven lampstands. And, and, and folks, what you can understand is, is we don't know for sure, you know, but this, all of these ideas are plausible. But the one thing that I don't want us to walk away thinking is, is that somehow God is schizophrenic. Um, that's not what this says. Um if you talk to Muslims, for example, who are really committed to their uh, faith and their belief system, um, they, by the way, you know, I've heard Christians say, oh, well, we're all worshiping the same God. Well, a Muslim wouldn't tell you that. A really serious Muslim would say, oh, no, we're not talking about the same God. We're, 
we, we may agree that there's one God, but we're not talking about the same God. And here's why. Because Christians believe in a triune God, a three uniquely personality God with one being, you know. And so there's this weird thing we call the Trinity that we associate with our God. And a Muslim will say, well, we don't believe in that. We think you guys believe in many gods at least three. Mm -hmm. So, so when we really get serious about our faith, we have to acknowledge that, that we are people who believe in a threefold sort of a triune God, a God who is one being with three persons that make up that person of God, that, that being God. And the Holy Spirit is one being. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we talk about seven spirits, a lot of that goes back to translation and language and all this. And, and yet, as we said earlier, if this was a problem, God would have fixed it during the history of the Bible. And this is an illustration I use every time I teach a Bible study. I don't want to take too much time for it, but what I've often, often told you kids and, and many of my students in Bible classes is that the Bible seems to have a way of being corrected when it goes really wide. Um, there are variations in Scripture over the years that, you know, have occurred in the various uh, 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 versions and the various translations. But when it really goes wide, when it's really doctrinally unsound, God seems to fix it. It's like, this is my book. This, mm -hmm. is, this is me communicating a very special message that I have divinely inspired. And I'm okay with some wiggle room around it, but I'm not okay with broad uh, uh, irreverence for it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And a case in point that I have personally experienced is something called the King Henry VIII Bible. I happened to have an opportunity in Chicago years ago to actually put my hands on one of the rarest Bibles you could ever find. Mm -hmm. And it's rare because God didn't like it, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Is a Bible that King Henry VIII ordered, written around the time of the, the English Reformation. And, uh, you know, he gets some credit for creating Reformation in a time when it was really needed. But his reform wasn't really any better in certain ways. And that's why there had been so much blood and suffering for quite a long time in England over this Reformation. Because it was never quite finished for a long time so we had the protestant kings and queens and the catholic kings and queens and each one pretty much uh, exercised their wrath on the ones they disagreed with but this bible this king henry the eighth bible you open the front page open the cover of it and the front page is a big picture of him on it and you get the feeling that that's what it's about and he basically told the people that he authorized to create this bible you go in there and fix everything I tell you to. I mean, if you know anything about him, just just remember anything you know about the guy. And he pretty much had this Bible written to justify anything he wanted to do. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, you know, guess what? It's a collector's uh -huh. item now. Yeah. And I remember, uh, oh, my gosh, it's probably been 25 years ago, but I remember there was a Bible that came out and I heard on Christian radio about it and and there's another thing i could go off on a tangent about i get told all the time about these things that people hear uh 
you know, and that was before the internet was a big thing. And, and, you know, folks don't react, research, Mm -hmm. use your critical thinking. Mm -hmm. If you hear something from somebody and it's third hand, fourth hand, whatever, don't react, research. Even if it's first hand. Yeah. I mean, if you care about this, then research mm-hmm. before you go off. Mm-hmm. You know, don't go firing off your your mouth and 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 making all kinds of you know accusations and things. I mean, I hear this all the time. Uh, I got an email from a pastor friend recently of a, another denomination who was saying, "I've heard that the United Methodist Church has rewritten the creed to make it non-gender specific." And then he sent me a link to the article, and it turns out that it's a highly opinionated article by someone who is uh, anti-denominations and everything. And it turns out that what they were referring to was a particular annual conference gathering in a particular place where one particular worship leader had decided to use a more uh, gender-neutral version of the Mm -hmm. creed. And had introduced it during their worship services in this particular event. And apparently the bishop didn't have any problem with that because nobody told this. Nobody in authority over this worship leader corrected them on it. So there's a truth there that probably offended some of the people in in attendance at this service. And maybe they raised some heck about it. But but to take that and turn it into a United Methodist Church-wide thing that was a gross misinterpretation of the event mm-hmm. there there is no truth to that and i'm not here to defend the united methodist church what i'm talking about is is what we do when we react mm-hmm. without researching you know we have to do our critical thinking and a case in point is is this bible mm-hmm. um you know people read the bible and somebody says oh my gosh you know this uh, this publishing company has produced a Bible that has taken all the gender-specific language out of it, and now the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus interpreted, you know, when Jesus gave them a prayer to pray in, in the Bible, you know, he said, Our Father or Mother who art in heaven, or whatever that turns out to be. And, well, what, what the point of the story I was making is, is that 25 years ago, a Bible version was so grossly inaccurate that it came out and then it's never been heard from mm-hmm. since. And it's a collector's item. That's the point. God takes care of yes. the Bible. God, if, if you've got a Bible that maybe, you know, a hundred other people you know also carry you're probably safe, mm-hmm. you know, um, if, if you can find out that there are, you know, tens of thousands of copies of the particular Bible you're reading in print and they're making more, mm-hmm. you know, then you're probably safe. If you've got a really rare one that is very hard to come by, you might wonder why, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's a really simple thing and and it maybe maybe it sounds like we're going off on a lot of things other than the book of revelation today but this is really important groundwork mm-hmm. because again you know to make sense of all this you've got to have your head wrapped around some of these things yeah so the lampstands is a good point you know mm-hmm. we're trying to understand these lampstands well the first thing we all have to do is agree that no one can say for sure yeah but what we do know is is the bible's pretty explicit that god is not 
a sevenfold God. He's a triune God. That's my, that's our Christian interpretation. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is uh, a clear understanding about that that hasn't been changed uh, because some new research or some archaeological find has, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's certain things that we see change in Scripture over the years because new archaeological finds give us a more complete understanding of, of some of the stuff we read in the Bible. But, but the doctrinally sound teaching of the Bible has not changed despite all of the attempts to change it, get rid of it. Yeah. So anyway. I, well, I got to say, I hadn't heard the um, the seraphim idea mm-hmm. or the cherubim idea. And I do think it sounds kind of cool that there's seven seraphim standing in front of the throne, like, ready to... Because for those that don't know, seraphim and cherubim aren't, like, cutesy angels. They're terrifying. Yeah. They are God's warriors. Mm-hmm. They're going to kick booty. Well, and these are the guys that probably were, you know, showed up in different places in Scripture yeah. where we see wrath and yeah. destruction, Sodom and Gomorrah, that kind of thing. So I kind of think that the idea of them standing in front of the throne ready mm-hmm. is a cool idea. But I also think it could be kind of a combination of all three of those things. Because mm-hmm. I could see the seraphim representing the seven f- spirits that are in Isaiah. like Yeah, yeah. But still being holy spirit driven yeah because i don't know a lot about the angels but i'm assuming that you know like we we welcome the holy spirit i I don't i mean they're angelic beings they're different but maybe they can too yeah yeah so no i think i think we've you know we've found enough to agree on there yeah um i don't mean between you and me but (laughs) I, i i think that that this resource i was quoting you know that says there are at least three things we can yeah feel pretty sure about. i think that's fair yeah and then the next thing is is that whole uh sea of glass before the mm-hmm. throne you and i were talking but while we were weeding yeah. <laughs> um about what that could mean and and i sort of i started down this road where i said well you know if it wasn't for the fact that it reminds me of the old clash of the titans movie from the 80s uh I would almost think that it's like like the throne room of God has a glass floor so that, that God can sit up there and watch what's going on, you know, on mm. earth. But that sounds too much like <laughs> Greek mythology for my taste. Yeah. Um, but if it means, and, and honestly, the fact that... that but uh, we've, we've talked before about, like, I think probably when I was in college and I was taking a few more lit classes, classes and... So every culture has origin myths Mm -hmm. and every culture has different legends and myths. And the really interesting thing, once you start really getting into literature and studying them is that they're, they're the same. Yeah. Um, so I know that the whole glass bottom looking down on the world sounds very Greek mythology, but the really cool thing is that these origin myths, like the, most Native Americans have an origin myth that has something to do with flooding. Right. Most myths sound really similar to things that happen in the Bible once you start digging in. Sure. So I wouldn't say, you know, you can say that maybe God sound, maybe Greek mythology takes things from God. Well, I mean, the commonalities and, of the human story <laughs> yeah. should have similar root mm-hmm. origins. Um 
the problem of sin is it's a rejection of God. Yes. So you've heard the story. Let's, I, I mean, you figuratively. So a person has heard the story uh, brought down through the ages of how God created Adam and Eve and da-da-da-da-da. And, and, and then you are uh, captive of some conquering nation from a pagan land and they say, oh, yeah, we've heard that story, but it's actually Gilgamesh yeah. you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and so what you realize is, is that, that the truth is the truth. Mm -hmm. The question is, is whether or not you accept or reject the yes. yod heh Yahweh, the God, Yahweh, the one and only God, the true and only creator. And so... That's that's a really good point to make. So this glassy sea of a floor. Well, uh, you know, I've been in cathedrals and office buildings and a lot of other places where the floor was so polished that it looked like glass. And so it could be like that. Uh, the thing you and I were talking about that's kind of interesting is that I, I can only go so far with this because I don't know where you go from there. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he has stepped out of time and space into a place where God dwells, where time and space are not, right. then it stands to reason that there are no walls, there's <laughs> no floors, there's yeah. no ceilings. That's what you, When we started talking about it, that was my response to you was, well, I kind of think it means that there isn't a floor. <laughs> Yeah. Because he's out of he's out of time and space, and so if the floor looks clear, like a sea of glass, because well, and I think I I was fixating on the sea part mm -hmm. because like I've flown over the ocean in the middle of the night. Yeah. And it doesn't look like anything. Yeah. When it's the middle of the night and you're flying over the ocean, you look you feel like you're in inky black nothingness. Yeah. So I was kind of holding on to the sea of glass thing the sea part just like if you're standing there maybe he he's saying the floor looks like that because there's nothing like it's just it just is yeah um I well no I I, no that's cool i mean it's like uh if you ever stop and think about it, you know we we like science fiction we've watched star trek for years and here's the irony is uh, folks is is i i really have loved star trek all my life and yet i think its fundamental premise is completely wrong <laughs> okay. I mean, how do, you, how do I explain it any other way? I love it because it's very entertaining and imaginative and everything, but it's also so thoroughly humanistic. And so really, uh, it has a lot of themes in it that you can tie back to scripture, but that's not the premise of the show. No. The premise of the show is that humanity somehow evolves uh, in some way to become, you know, utopian. Utopian. And the irony is, is that makes for a really dull show. So they have to encounter people who are violent and mm -hmm. ugly and, you know, so, but I digress. The point I want to make is, is that when they're having all this space travel and everything, it's still basically two dimensional. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, they'll show four or five spaceships uh, all, you know, huddling together in some place around a planet or something. But, but if you really were to think about space travel in its purest form, there's no up, down, sideways, whatever. I mean, there there is no uh, point of reference. Right. Therefore, it doesn't matter. I, 
two two spacecraft could be flying toward the same goal, but coming from completely different directions and completely different um, uh, configurations. You know, it's imagine airplanes in the sky that were flying at all different angles and some upside down, some right side up, some sideways or whatever. That would be what space travel would be like. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that's, something knowable which it is because we can imagine traveling in space mm-hmm. um then imagine what it looks like in heaven where there is no uh point of reference you know so it's just there mm-hmm. you know so like i said this is where we get right out to the edge of our ability to 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 express it mm-hmm. um and this is why i love science fiction because even though i might disagree with some of the premises premises behind them the reality is is that it gives us a way of imagining the things that we can't really visualize. Right. So I kind of figured that we would do enough with this that I wouldn't want to go past um, the whole sea of glass thing, which is why I stopped there. Um, So I'm thinking next week we pick up verse, uh, the second half of verse six and finish chapter four. We will finish chapter four folks. I promise you. Got to lay a lot of groundwork here, and and I got news for you. There's still more groundwork to be laid. Is is pretty much everything we talk about as we're reading the uh, Bible, especially the the Book of Revelation, depends on our ability to go back into the book the book and bring it forward. Well, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that this uh, this chapter is short, but when you read Revelation. This is like setting up the characters. Because yeah. these are all the characters that repeatedly come up as we move through Revelation. Because he comes back to the throne room a lot. And things happen with the elders and the living creatures and the, the seven spirits. And so this is like this is like the exposition. Yeah, exactly. And next time we're going to uh, unpack those four living creatures. We're going to look at uh, the... the uh, because because get you know basically what we know because we've read ahead and some of you know because you've read ahead is is that that Jesus is going to come out with a scroll that only he can hold mm-hmm. and he's going to start popping the seals off these scroll and this is the big dramatic event this is this is the culmination culmination of all time mm-hmm. uh, and all of creation and these are the preceding events John is witnessing what comes next and then what comes next and then what comes next. And, uh, that's, that's why we're laying all this groundwork. We're going to talk about something in the next week or two called the Harpazo, Mm -hmm. which is the, the concept of the, um, uh, stealing away Mm -hmm. the, the, um, the thing we call the rapture, rapture. you know, it's, it's, it's in there, mm-hmm. and people have different beliefs about that. But if we read Revelation carefully, we're probably going to figure out that uh, that it's before the seals start popping. That thank the, goodness, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, we'll get to that, but thank goodness, it's going to be interesting, <laughs> you know. So, so yeah, there's a lot of advanced work to be done in order to really make sense of this. And then when we get to the part where we start describing the events, you'll find that we move more rapidly through the passages. Yeah. So I think this is a good place to stop. You got anything else you want to share? Mm, I don't think so. 
All right, my friends, I want to thank you for listening to Bethany and myself. We're honored, believe me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Send us your comments, write uh, things on the Facebook group, and email us, and, uh, you know, pull us aside at church if you're one of those folks, and just talk to us about this, because we love you for for joining us in this in the virtual world, but it's even more fun when we can actually communicate with you. So that's all for now. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast or our episode. Uh, uh, just, just occurred to me I didn't tell you at the beginning which episode this was and when it was recorded, which I think I should do. So, uh, sorry for the lack of consistency. I guess that's just part of my shtick. Uh, This is episode 13, episode 13, and this was recorded on June the 15th, 2018. Thank you again for listening. You really honor us. Don't forget to come see us at the website, uh, shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And uh, don't forget about the link here in the description of this podcast where you can connect with us through the Facebook group. We would love to hear from you, and uh, we pray for blessings in your lives. God bless you. Bye.